0: Well, hi, everyone, and welcome back to Alzheimer Speaks Radio. I hope you enjoyed the opening music. It's called Clarion Call by the Mark Arneson Band featuring Maya Dore. and you can download that on any of your favorite music platforms if you'd like. For those of you that are new, Alzheimer Speaks is about sound information, not just sound bites. Our goal is to raise all voices, big and small, around the world. And today, this is a live show, so you can call in. With any questions or comments, that number is 323-870-4602, 323-870-4602. And as usual, I have to thank our listeners. I just love you to death uh, for all your likes and clicks and shares and interest in the shows that we're doing. Um, This week, we're actually going to be doing three shows. So we have one today, one tomorrow, and one on Thursday. So you're going to want to check all of those out. Tomorrow's show is going to be about um, COVID and pivoting uh, in the pandemic, and then Thursday's show, we're going to be talking about the ethics of vaccines with people with dementia, and that will also be a live show on Thursday, so you might want to check that out, and today we're going to be talking about supporting the journey, but before I introduce our guest today, I always like to give a shout out to a few organizations, so um, Artist Away Senior Living does a memory cafe the third Wednesday of each month at one o'clock central. And Arthur's Senior Care has a memory cafe on the fourth and or the second and the fourth Wednesday of each month at one o'clock central. I happen to facilitate all three of those. And uh, we welcome anybody around the world who wants to join us. Just reach out to me and I will get you the contact information there. Or you can always visit memorycafedirectory.com that lists all of the memory cafes in five different countries. There's only about 100 of them though that are doing virtual tours and you can find those under Cafe Connect. Also want to shout out to Dementia Map, which is a global resource directory that myself and Dave Widrick just launched. Um, We're really excited about that. It's easy to use. We don't ask for any upfront information. Things are available 24/7. And we have free and paid plans um, for those who have information that they want out with different levels of um, boosting exposure, et cetera. And let's see, uh, two more. Uh, Coral Health is still allowing people to download their two music apps for free during the pandemic. One is uh, Coral Faith. The other is Music First. And you just go to CoralHealth.com, that's C-O ourallhealth.com. We're going to hear from the foot bar walker, and we'll be right back. Introducing the life-changing foot bar walker. I'm Peggy from Danville, Kentucky, and I'm 91 years old. The foot bar walker revolutionized my care of George the saving that I made from having to put him in a nursing home came to about $192,000. The footbar walker opens and closes just like a standard walker. The only thing that is different is the top bar and the foot bar. Does that ever make a difference? Does someone you love use a walker? Do they struggle to get up from a seated position? Are you a caregiver dealing with physical pain and stress as you help your patient? The footbar walker was designed to assist not only the patient, but also the caregiver. Patients have more control standing up and no lifting from the caregiver is required see how it works at thefootbarwalker.com that's thefootbarwalker.com peggy would you recommend the footbar walker
1: do i ever i would
0: not be in the health that i'm in today at this age had it not been for the footbar walker well we're back and i finally get to introduce you to our guest today who i am really excited to talk to Cloud Conrad is a dementia caregiver trainer and author, and she founded a company called New Street Compass to provide dementia caregivers the knowledge, skill, and emotional support they need to navigate their journey confidently and competently. And boy, is that a strong statement, (laughs) because a lot of times you get the tools, but you don't get that emotional support, or you don't even know what the heck to do with your emotions on there cloud is actually certified in several different programs she's um, certified as an independent uh, caregiver trainer with tipa snow she is an icf certified coach she also is a trainer with the second wind dreams and virtual dementia tour and the alzheimer's association community educator and uh, support group facilitator she's also certified in. She truly is an authority on solving the unique challenges that people face when they are caring for someone with dementia. She also does a lot of speaking, uh, public speaking, and she's based in the Atlanta area. And I personally have to say, I absolutely adore her book called The Dementia Field Guide. It is one of the best out there, in my opinion, covers things so wonderfully. So welcome, Cloud, how are you doing today?
1: Hey, how are you, Lori, it's great to be here.
0: I am doing good, I am doing good. Um, I'm thrilled that you were able to squeeze us into your schedule. Like I said, I you sent me your book and I was just fascinated by it and we will talk about that a little bit more. But I always like to ask people uh, who are my guests if they've been personally touched by dementia um, in their own circle of friends or family, uh,
1: I have uh, personally uh, twice a family caregiver, first for my stepfather and then for my father. So I, I have that firsthand experience. Okay, yeah, that makes a big difference. It really changes
0: the view of what you're experiencing, what you're seeing, how you're feeling um, when you when you've been on that uh, emotional roller coaster, and tried to find services, products, and tools as well. You know you know what works and what doesn't work out there. What inspired you to kind of start your dementia caregiving training practice and your company, New Street Compass?
1: Uh, it really started when I was caring for my father. My sisters and I uh, experienced a lot of fear, frustration, and failure, especially in the, um, in the early and middle stages. Of his uh, of his dementia. And I vowed then there were no manuals that really would um, address specific situations that we um, were encountering, you know, there was information out there, but it was kind of heavy text. And it was so general. And the, what, what we discovered and um, through our process, and what I have you know discovered in my research and, uh, and my certifications, is that every case of dementia, Alzheimer's or, or dementia is different, having to do with a multitude of factors. But this is one of the reasons why it's difficult for people who are trainers like myself to prescribe specific solutions because each time that dementia symptoms escalate it plays out differently for the person living with dementia and for the relationship they have with the person who is is caring for them and so I vowed that one day I would work to help other dementia caregivers navigate their journey and um, and that's what inspired me to start New Street Compass I said one day I will do this I was still working uh, in my uh, marketing career at the time but Um, After my father passed and after I took some time, I I really decided that other caregivers could benefit from what we learned and what I have learned since. And so that's what inspired me to start my company, New Street Compass. Wonderful.
0: So many people have had that personal journey and have chosen to step into the space and share because they don't want people going through what they went through. Um, I know that's what got me here, too. Um, after my mom uh, had dementia for 30 years, it was uh, like mm. something I never experienced before, and uh, was able to to get out of all the doom and gloom and come out the other side uh, with a more even meaningful relationship and lessons learned in life and stuff, which was which was interesting. Now let's talk about your book, the Dementia Field Guide. Um, why? why did you maybe tell people how you structured it and why you structured it the way it is, because it's a, it's a a spiral, you know, it's, it's not a soft or a hard copy that we normally think of. Um, But that just makes it so much easier to really, you know, be able to write notes and apply things and and stuff. So I actually, (laughs) I really, I love this. Um, So why don't you, why don't you talk about the book itself, what people can expect in it and, and why you, structured it the way you did.
1: Sure. Um, first of all, the book is really kind of mirrors the way that I work with clients one-on-one um, and in training classes. It kind of covers a, um, a chronological order of content, if you will, that follows um, a caregiver's um, journey beginning with, "Am I, is what I'm noticing a problem or is this normal aging? You know, beginning at that moment, and then uh, helping readers identify whether or not what they're looking at is normal or not normal aging. And then if it is not normal aging, working through what happens next and how do we um, confront the issue? How do we plan for success? And how do we care for ourselves as caregivers in order to, you know, provide the best care that we can? You mentioned the spiral bound and the um, the workspaces in there. I said before, um, Lori that. You know, there is. We found no specific answers. We found only very general information, and the reason for that is because dementia plays out so differently in each individual. And my goal with the book, and my goal in my training, my the work that I do with my clients, is more of a teach Amanda Fish, give people the information that they need so that they can problem solve for themselves based on their own unique situation and the background and the personality and the living space and the, and the place within dementia's progression that their own person living with dementia is. So Mm -hmm. it's structured with the spiral bound so that people can take on information via the book, the text in the book, learn how to apply that information to their own situations based on workspaces and assessments and other tools that are set up in the book. So really, um, it does parallel the work that I do individually and in the classes um, that, I, that I provide for my clients in a way that will help me reach many, many, many more people with my ideas about an orientation to caregiving and the skills um, that one might want to uh, take on in order to best provide um, the care that they want. So it's a very experiential kind of Manual. It's a manual, not really a book. There are many books, but there are a few manuals. Um, So it's really designed for field, (laughs) you know, hands-on, boots-on-the-ground kind of um, kind of support.
0: You know, you have in here. um, I love this one. You have the cognitive um, function and decline wheel that just really helps people think about well, what is wrong and where is it? Is it sensory? Is it learning? Is it visual? Um, Is it linguistic, you know, you, you break this all down. Is it a survival thing? And I think it makes people step back and go, oh, I never really looked at breaking it down. I just, you know, a lot of times we identify something as an issue or, or as a problem, but we don't really know where it's coming from or what triggered it. And I think that can yeah. really help people
1: set back. Yeah, the other thing, so, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say I'm so glad you brought that up because for um, so the wheel of cognitive function it's kind of a one of the kind thing. Uh, I don't think your listeners will find it anywhere else it 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 mentions it or it's information organized based on eight cognitive functions in the brain, and it talks about how those functions normally what those functions are responsible for, how they normally change um, in with age, but then how they can manifest if dementia is in play how those changes become the symptoms of dementia. And, and it's very interesting in my own experience and in my help with others, I've noticed that there's interplay between breakdowns in different cognitive functions. And I find that the diagram is a really helpful way for, for me to get my clients to quickly understand and engage with information about uh, cognitive living. And once people understand how the brain changes, it's so much easier to problem solve um, the situations that they're, that, they're, that they're going through with their person living with dementia. When I came across that information, I felt like Helen Keller at the water pump. I mean, it was the whole key to a different way of caring for my father and a different way of helping other people care for their father or mother or spouse or siblings um or or neighbor for that matter i mean it really that understanding that knowledge and this is why i'm so glad you brought it up the knowledge that's on the wheel of cognitive function is the building block on which all the other information that i share is based and it really is the beginning of that teach Amanda fish um mm-hmm. so thanks for bringing that up
0: yeah well and you break it down so nice uh in the book you know you talk about um You know, you give examples of executive function um, from inappropriate Mm -hmm. behavior and problem-solving. Linguistics, a lot of times we don't really talk about that one. We talk about word loss, but we don't talk about that loss of thought kind of mid-sentence or needing um, more time to respond or a slower response or, you know, we hear about repetitive phrases. Um, But there's there's many things that you break down for that whole wheel that I think people overlook and don't realize they're all kind of tied together. You also Mm. put in which I think is great. um, You have a progression of peripheral vision. And I think people think a lot of times because this is how we a lot of people teach. It's like, okay, put your hands to the side and you've got wide or you've got narrow, but you have terms, you know, as it as it folds in. And then really gets to kind of that straight line ahead of us and you can't see anything to the side. And I think that that is really interesting, too, because it starts out with the wide vision at 50 and then goes to 75 when it kind of pulls in. And then you talk um, snorkel and then field glass vision and then kind of peg one um, vision. And, again, I think that those are just good things as reminders, you know, having that visual graphic for people to be able to see. Um, you also have what you call field assignments in here for journaling, which I think hmm. is fabulous, too, in terms of, um, you know, what signals are they seeing? Why don't you talk about the signals assessment a little bit in terms of, because I, I love that it's signals and not behavior <laughs> that you're using as a term oh. uh, to
1: begin with in and of itself. <laughs> um i uh, It's interesting you talk about that word behavior um and if I can just um talk about that a little bit before the signals um i in my training as I was um, retooling myself to transfer my old um, professional experience to being a dementia caregiver trainer and mentor, I came across the word challenging behaviors more times than I would really like and <clears throat> When I was caregiving for my father, I would look around the cafeteria when we were at lunch, and I was so dismayed that we didn't that there weren't more family visitors in the cafeteria. I felt like there should more pe- be more people doing this. And mm-hmm. there's enough fear that goes along with being a dementia caregiver, particularly in the early stages. Um, there's enough fear to go around already. And then when people talk about challenging behaviors, they're just escalating that fear. And when we talk about when we refer to uh, the way a dementia person's, a person living with dementia's um, disease plays out, the symptoms, the manifestations, when we think of those as behaviors, we, we sort of grant them the power of choice. Um, what I, and the person living with dementia has fewer and fewer and fewer choices available to them as their different cognitive functions decline. And so when we think of them as behaviors, we, we're making the assumption or we're setting up sort of a construct where we think that the other person can do better. But the person living with dementia is choosing to act the way that they're acting or act out, in some cases, the way that they're acting. And so I like to call them symptom-related behaviors or simply the symptoms of dementia. It's not personality-driven. The person does not intend to aggravate us, believe it or not, They because sometimes that's hard to believe. They do not intend to aggravate us, but they can't. They are working with what, they're, what is available to them still in order to communicate their needs
0: and interact
1: with the world around them. So mm-hmm. the signals, <laughs> sorry, um, I, I don't mean to get on a soapbox, but I think if people can stop thinking of them as behaviors and thinking of them as the signs and the symptoms of dementia, it's easier for us to, um, it, it's easier for us to display empathy and understanding and patience when we can remember that they are symptoms. We don't get angry with people with cancer, for example, when they display their symptoms. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it, it's no different, really. Anyway, the signals, I'm sorry I got off on that tangent. It's, a, um, it's really a, a passion point for me. <laughs> um, and I think it's one of the distinctions of, of my approach to this. But um, so the signals of cognitive decline, um, they fall into eight categories. And... When we can understand um, what is normal aging and what is potentially a sign of dementia, then we are you know, best equipped to know how to proceed. Ignoring the signs of dementia, even though that's the easiest thing to do, it's, it's, the, it's, it's the least helpful of things to mm-hmm. do. Um, so in the book, there's an assessment that, that it's really 30 questions, and it's, um, those 30 questions are aimed at a specific signal that relates to one of those eight cognitive functions. And it helps, um, my, it helps my readers, it helps my clients, it can help your listeners get a clearer picture on what is normal aging and what is not normal aging. The assessment allows people to think about these, you know, 30 signals, and to what extent they are or are not um, present in the person that they are thinking about, in their loved one, or even themselves. You can use the, um, the, the signals wheel and the signals assessment to help figure out if your own um, concerns about um, aging are, 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 are founded or deserve more attention. You know the stuff like, um, is it normal that I can't remember how to reset the clock on my microwaves? Um, is it normal that I can't remember why I came upstairs when I get to the top of the stairs? Is it normal that I can't remember the the name of the teacher who was my child's favorite high school teacher? You know, that sort of thing. So it helps a person get a real clear picture on uh, if their changes are normal or, or not normal. Okay.
0: Well, and I think that, that makes a, a ton of sense. And um, I'm really passionate about the word behavior, and I like using the, um, the title, signals, symptoms, and clues, because I really do think that, it, you know, they're trying to tell us something is wrong when they can't communicate in other ways. And when we look at it, like you said, this isn't a voluntary thing that they're doing. They, they've lost the choice to, to act or react in a different way. In a different fashion and is so important the other thing that i love that you do in the book is you talk about maslow's um, hierarchy of need and that's been that's another big push button for me too because i think so many people are you know kind of up at the top with that self-actualization and they forget the person has you know skills have declined and there's our much more basic needs as the progression goes on. And it's really a nice, safe space to be in if we allow people (laughs) to be there. Um, So do you want to talk a little bit about that as well and and what you, you know, you refer to as the emotional need and you, you have a nice diagram of, you know, on the negative side, it's uselessness, hopelessness, abandonment, terror and distress. And on the upside, it's calm and confidence and that fellowship and happiness and drive. And, you know, it just all depends on what do we want to make out of these different levels of his theory. And I think it's brilliant that you put this in there because I think it's extremely important. Um, And I don't think a lot of people understand the effect they have on others in terms of is that emotional need going to get squashed down and are they going to feel less than or are we going to build them yeah. up?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um. Thanks for asking about that. The uh, 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 my mother, um, uh, my my mother said to me one time as I was they were divorced, but they stayed friends. So my mother knew my father, you know, ongoingly through life. But she said to me one time, uh, in her beautiful southern accent. Darlin, logic does not apply when I was trying to explain to her what my dad was doing and you know that it was an escalated situation and I didn't know how to get around it and what I was doing wasn't working logic does not apply with dementia emotion it's all about emotion
0: you mm-hmm. get
1: reason it's all about emotion so when let's talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Um, back to that. I'm glad you brought that up. You know, I learned about that in, in college. I studied speech communications with an eye to go into marketing and advertising. And I never thought I would use it again, to be quite frank with you. And here it is. Really, um, a a a pivot point in my training. For listeners that don't know, um, Maslow was a behavioral scientist, I believe, um, doing work in the 1940s and 50s. And he, through his research, came up with a a theory called Maslow's hierarchy, what we call Maslow's hierarchy of need. And basically, he said that all of us are bound by that's my word bound by but we all share. Five universal needs. Other behavioral scientists have decided maybe there's more than five, but they, everyone seems to agree on these five. So they are, um, and he, call, he's, he says that they're in a hi- hierarchy, that there's an order in which they must be fulfilled, that there are um, physical needs, um, and uh, like, you know, food, shelter, warmth, there are safety needs. Um, then there, are, um, then there are, is a need to feel as one is loved and belongs, There is a need for self-esteem and to be valued by others. And then highest on this hierarchy is um, the need for self-actualization or an easier way to say that is personal motivation or sense of purpose or or, or drive. Mm -hmm. We all share these needs. Um, People living with dementia and caregivers alike, these needs do not recede with age. They do not recede with dementia. And as a person um, it with dementia becomes less and less capable of fulfilling their needs themselves, then they become more um, vulnerable, less, less independent, and they, become, they, they eventually develop you know, sort of an, an elevated state of anxiety because they're aware that they have these needs and yet they are not able to fulfill them themselves. They have the will to fulfill the need, but they don't have the power and the ability. They, they don't have the mastery to be able to um, to fulfill that need. Mm-hmm. One of the expression, you know, um, Laura, you talked a minute ago about um, linguistic skills um, and word loss and losing one's train of thought in a sentence. So a person has... Needs that don't go away, and yet they can't. They are losing their ability to fulfill them themselves. Simultaneously, they're losing the ability to express what they need to others. And so, you know, they're drawing on whatever, as we said before, whatever they have left in order to try to communicate um, their um, their their need to others. And this is when those communications break down, and they so commonly do, um, because we, as the caregivers, once we're seasoned, we know better. But as the caregivers, we're expecting a reasonable response, you know, a rational conversation. And the, the person in our, in our care can't, can't provide that. Um, someone, a stranger, total stranger at the cafeteria where my father was staying one time, she was behind me in line in the cafeteria, and she said to me um, that um, people living with dementia are manipulative. And I, I kept my mouth shut. <laughs> and I thought, this is exactly why we need a manual. Because they're not, but it's so easy to draw that conclusion without understanding that the needs remain and the ability to fulfill them gets lost. And the and that's what creates these difficult scenarios and escalated situations between caregiver and person living with dementia. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so, very yeah. And back to this. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. That's just okay. Go say ahead. Back um, symptom-related behavior, um, the uh, you know, and the symptoms of dementia. Um, when a person living with cancer, they have less of an ability to fill, fulfill their needs when they are um, in when they are battling cancer and in the throes of, of you know their uh, their their rigorous treatments. But yet, the relationship doesn't change in the same way that it does in dementia, and it has to do with that. It has to do with that piece of ration and, and reasoning. And with dementia, we can't really write the relationships with reason anymore. And I think that's one thing that makes caregiving so so challenging. So remembering about the needs that we share, I think, helps. I've noticed with my clients it helps them, you know, develop that empathy muscle that makes everything so much easier. yeah. Yeah. You know, you
0: have written in here, and I love this one too, you have such great advice for families and and how how for them to kind of journal and pull more details out of their thoughts. Because I think it's really easy as a family member uh, or anyone caring for someone with dementia to kind of just get looped into, um, you know, what isn't working. And we don't always ask ourselves what is working. Or how did that change break it down to to be able to find some answers and you do a really nice job in terms of helping people map out things and and one of the statements you have in here is denial is controlled by the owner emotionally charged viewpoints take time to evolve and each at their own pace and I think especially when when families are involved. Um, I know for myself, I wanted my brothers to be like me. I wanted them to be on the same page and pace as I was in that role. And I tried to force it, and I got really, really frustrated with it. Mm. and 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 they got frustrated with it. You know, they saw me as a control freak. I saw myself as organized. And um, <laughs> you know it took it took us a while to have the conversation of why we both had those opinions. And I think both were true you know, with it, but you see what you want to see and what you need to see for you to feel comfortable in your whole kind of Maslow's theory and and um, and stuff. And so I think denial is really important because um, it is such a, a masterful piece that comes into play for people, not just family members, but people with dementia as well. You also have in here um, some changes in language that can help people um, instead of saying, "Hey, let's let's go get you diagnosed," it's like, you know, let's let's get things checked out. It's just much softer, but you're moving in the same direction, um, but yeah. you might not get much pushback. And those are really subtle changes with such power behind them. Well, and because, and,
1: and go ahead. Sorry. Oh
0: no, that's that's all right. That's all right. Go ahead.
1: Um, <clears throat> Um, the and the truth is that when these signals appear, they could be symptoms of something else. Even though the family member, the spouse, whomever may be sure that dementia is in play, to be fair, no one really knows that until some diagnostics are underway. Um, uh, depression, you know, is a very common um, scenario where. Dementia and depression share, share some symptoms, thyroid problems. There's other medical conditions that can also um, produce some of these signals uh, of cognitive decline. And so, to be fair, um, caregivers can leverage that notion that, you know, it, it's, we don't know what it is. It could be a number of things. Let's go have a conversation. Um, yeah. It's an easy out, you know, for caregivers.
0: It it is. And it's so funny because people with dementia say that all the time. Oh, the first thing they blame is the dementia, you know, and then they say, Well, this has always been my personality, you know. And and I could say the same about you, but I'm not. <laughs> you know, so but it is easy to blame the disease. And sometimes that's appropriate and sometimes it's not. Um, and you've got some really good questions in here to guide people. You know, what have I noticed? Um Here's, or, or, um, in here's, here's what I've noticed. And then I'm concerned about, and this is a why. And I think these are great questions, not only for an individual, but to share with family and friends and with the doctors. And then what's going on here? What might this be? You know, again, it's just a little softer approach versus, you know, this has to be fixed immediately. And the pressure is put on a lot of times we put that pressure on somebody else not ourselves to fix it. And it just slows the conversation down. And I think it invites other people in to have their opinions and what they're seeing, because we have to look at this from all different sides because sometimes we're the problem. Sometimes it's us that's raising the hair on somebody's back and we don't see it because we're standing in front
1: of them. (laughs) We're really making them feel uncomfortable. Right. Right. It's interesting you say that because, You know, dementia is such a daunting topic, such a daunting topic that we want to make it urgent. And there are, I can think of um, very few emergencies that are dementia-related. I mean, if you have firearms in the house or if your loved one with dementia is raising a knife, that's an emergency. But other than that, there's very few emergencies with dementia. So while it is a huge and very important um, uh, topic, Mm-hmm. um we 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 do have the um latitude to uh, ease into it with mm-hmm. uh, not encouraging denial but to allow people back to what you were reading before that quote from before about the you know denial being the 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 owners um letting people come giving them the space to come to the middle you mm-hmm. know to the to the truth i guess in the middle um and, you know, to your point, too, there's there are truth on both sides um, yep. of things. So coming to the middle, I guess, is really a good, a good way to say that. We have to give people the space to do it. Um, one of the examples I give in the book is that, um, you know, um, and this is something I encountered early on, the family strife that really surfaces when denial is present, you know, in dementia. And so one of my early clients was, um, she was of the belief that dementia was present and her four siblings who never got along anyway believed otherwise. And so she was Xeroxing articles and saying, see, I told you, you know, kind of stuff, and mailing that off to her siblings. And, you know, with no positive movement from that campaign. And so, um, uh, you know, yeah, we, get, we need to give people their, their time. We can allow them, present them the facts and let them, let them digest and accept on their own on their own terms. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's hard to do. It's easier to say than to do.
0: Yeah. Well, and, you know, we try to control our kids and protect them from making mistakes. And yet, you know, that's part of life is, is learning to kind of walk through the forest and, um, and be safe and learn the lessons instead of someone just protecting you throughout the way. And, you know, or someone who has an addiction problem, you know, we all know you can't, you can't force them to want treatment. They have, to be, they have to be ready for it. Same with, you know, denial and coming out of it. Somebody has to really be ready, you know, for another path and be willing to say, okay, I have to look at something a little bit different. Maybe it isn't what I thought it was. And, so and, too, often, and too often, you know, when it comes to caring for somebody, um, those opinions don't change until there's a crisis, until there's something undeniable that happens. And then they're like, oh. Okay, I guess this might be a little
1: bit different than what I was what I but wanted to Isn't see. that human nature anyway? You know, we're not really moved to um make changes until there's discomfort beyond what we can what we're willing to tolerate, right? <laughs> yep. Yep, exactly. Yep.
0: You also have um a real nice section in the book on self care for the caregivers and, and this is talked about all the time care partners, care companions, carers, uh caregivers, you know, wanna know how do I do that? And you know, everybody rattles off a big list, but you kind of come from a philosophical side um, that, that is out there in, in many different angles with the physical, the environmental, cognitive, social, um, spiritual, um, and then, you know, what do you value and seeing where you sit um, on this. But then you, you, you know, you break it down. You really just have such a nice job in terms of how you break things down on, you know, what what specific thing are you talking about and, and what is your intention maybe to change that so that you can be more in balance and, and then taking it a step farther and go, okay, that's your intention, but really what are you going to do about it? <laughs> Give me a couple of steps right. later, um, for people to right. really be able to watch this. Um, I can't believe, you know, we're 40 minutes into the show already. And I have literally, I'm not even halfway through the, the talking points in in Claude's book. I mean, it is just <laughs> filled, it is just filled with wonderful, wonderful information. And trust me, I see a lot of books out there. Um, this one is, I believe it's just fabulous. If you, you. truly, truly want to have a deep insight. Um, another section in the book, you talk about the human need and different fulfillment models, which I think is really interesting too, because I'm a big believer as well that we have to feel purposeful and we have to feel like we belong. And when we lose that, that's really when a lot of the depression and other reactions, um, behaviors, whatever you want to call them, um, become more pronounced. And you start seeing significant changes when people feel so disconnected. So disconnected. Um, Mm -hmm. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say if you want to talk a little bit more about um, kind of mastering um, the needs for for, for 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 I can't say for for, for filling the <laughs> needs for for, for the, the fulfillment model I can't say that word <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: thank you <laughs> um, this is. Um, yeah, this is an, an interesting scenario. So what do, what we all have these needs. And what is different about our behavior model, yours and mine and listeners, is that we have, in addition to the will, it's not enough to have the will to make a change. You know we're talking about, making changes and denial and everything a minute ago. Not denial-related now, but it's not enough just to have the will to make a change when we <laughs> arrive at that moment of discomfort that is that is greater than our tolerance for discomfort. <clears throat> we have the will to make that change. We also need the ability to do the things necessary to make that change, and we need the power, we need the agency, we need the authority to make that change in order to increase our you know, our, our comfort level or or improve our well-being, I suppose, in the case of these human needs. Um, and yet the person with dementia, so they have their needs too. Um, they come, they arrive at the place of discomfort that is greater than their tolerance for that discomfort, and they want to make a change. They have the will to make that change. But now they don't have the power and the ability to make that change any longer. And so that creates a great deal of frustration. It creates um, an elevated sense of anxiety, um, as you know, our 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 most basic needs are physical comfort and safety. Um, We are always in a mode, as creatures living on this planet, we are always in a mode of self-preservation. It was more dire in, our, in the caveman days, but we were all still in this mode of self-preservation. And so it's our ability to detect the world around if we have dementia. I talk, I have this bad habit of talking about we as if we all have dementia. If we had dementia, our ability to interpret the world around us visually, audibly, tactilely, um, uh, emotionally. Um, with you know, cognitive thinking, abstract thinking, our ability to process the world around us and respond to it becomes diminished um, in dementia. And so we have the will still at full throttle just like, you know, just like caregivers do, but we don't have that power and ability um, any longer. And um, when when we talk about... The, um, you wanted me to talk about this in the context of feeling like we belong and having purpose. Um, w- um, let me talk about solving the right problem. Let's say that someone is, uh, is um, pacing around. They're pacing mm-hmm. around, and we don't know why they're pacing, and it's really irritating to us. And we can't get them to sit still and eat their lunch or take the nap or shave or, you know, whatever it is. That pacing is an expression of an unmet need. Um, In the case of pacing, it's not always true. There might be other causes for for pacing. But when we talk about will and power and ability, that pacing may be the expression of um, a need to be useful. I have The person saying, I have energy, I just don't know how to use it. Now, they can't articulate those words. And, you know, many situations are different. But oftentimes pacing can be resolved if we shift the energy to something that allows the person living with dementia to experience some of those higher order needs some of those emotionally based needs like belonging so the persons indicating they have the they have the energy perhaps we can help them find something to do that will use that energy in a way that allows them to feel like they're contributing to Um, daily life, contributing to the community or the family around them. And so is pacing a problem? No, but wouldn't it be so much better if the person could also um, feel engaged? So when we think about what things people might feel useful doing, um, it's helpful if we look to their past. You know, when they were in their cognitive peak, what was their identity? What were their hobbies? What were their interests? What, was their, what were the life skills that they, they were using at work? What were the professional skills they were using at work? And how might we dial those back so that an activity could be tailored to their needs, but allows them to utilize that part of their identity to contribute,
0: mm-hmm. um, an example.
1: This one is, is from the talks that I do at the Alzheimer's Association. This is not an original example, but I'm sure that people can relate to it um, nonetheless. There, um, in, the, in one of the talks that I give there, um, it, uh, it, it talks about um, the, one of the solutions to rummaging was to allow the mother, who had been a homemaker for 40 years with six children, I think, to, um, to participate in activities that recalled her homemaking role, when she was in charge of the laundry, when she was in charge of the dishes, um, and that sort of thing. and so even though you and I might not feel that um, folding towels for an extended period of time was a meaningful, engaging activity, we might feel um, that that was demeaning to be folding towels over and over, but for this particular caregiver's mother, it gave her a sense of her old identity when she was at her cognitive peak, and it gave her a sense that I'm using what I know and my skills to make a difference in this household. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we talk about um, mastery and will and power and ability, we, um, if we can think about ways to... Um, allow power and ability to support will. Um, And so like in the middle stages where caregivers are having that difficult time trying to figure out, should I do it for my person or should I let them try to figure it out on their own? Example Mm -hmm. being loss of words, you know. And this is really a conversation that caregivers can have with their person in dementia. You know, do you want me to help you find the word or do you want to, you know, do you want to work on it some more? To allow them that ability to exercise, um, their will to the ability
0: that they can. I hope that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yep. No, no, it does. Um, you also break down, which I think is wonderful because everybody thinks words are so important, um, that, you know, verbal, uh, our verbal communication is really only 7%. Um, vocal is 38% and visual is 50, 55 So when you look at that nonverbal <clears throat> communication, it's it, you know it's just a huge piece, or the tone of our voice makes you know a big big difference in terms of how people react and feel. And sometimes we don't we don't even know that we are acting um, or displaying maybe an inappropriate behavior towards somebody because we're yeah. we're, we're in denial. We're thinking, hey, I got my stepford wife smile on. I'm doing okay. No one knows I'm mad or angry or anxious but the other people are feeling it. And um, and that goes for people with dementia and, you know, who are cognitively um, fine as well. And we've all experienced those times where someone's walked into a room and everything has just changed. No one said a word. No one really knows why. It's just everybody is walking on eggshells and is on edge. And so it, it is easy to always blame it on dementia, but sometimes we have to, We have to look within, um, I think, many, many times. You also put in the book, you have um, common factors for escalation. So physical needs like hunger and thirst or constipation or being tired or um, pain, Um, environmental, which I think is overlooked so much, the lighting, the temperature, the noise levels, um, the amount of stimulation, um, touch that's happening, and then that emotional piece um, from anger and fear and and sorrow and frustration or lack of purpose. So you really, you have packed so much into this book. Um, And, you know, it's a really easy resource book as well in terms of you can just kind of flip through and put little stickies on there for what it is you're looking looking for, which I, I find really, really helpful. And, and having it be a spiral, I think, was just a really wise move in how, you, um, how you've how you laid this out and how it can be utilized, you know, by others. Um, with that, I think, is, is really um, very, very smart, too. You um, also, towards, towards the back, you have um, information for people, for caregivers, again, for self-care and well-being assessment. And you kind of break some things down. those topics that we talked about earlier from visual and social um, spirituality um, and things and then kind of let them score things out on where they where they land so they're not like okay I filled it out now what (laughs) now what do I do Um, but you really you have taken a really nice I think holistic approach and in terms of holistic I'm talking, um, looking at the whole person, not just the person with dementia, but also those caring for them on both sides of the fence. And sometimes mm. we, you know, we just direct things one way, um, but we are so much more alike than we are different. And when we just slow down and are able to process things, it, you know, it makes life much better for for everyone. Um, when, when you wrote the book, um, and I know it's, it's fairly new being out. What kind of, what were you hoping for, for a response? And what kind of response have you been getting from people?
1: Well, um, really, when I, when I wrote the book, the intent was so that I could reach more people with my ideas. And in order to help them. Problem solve. I hope that the response or the result of reading the book would be that people would learn how to problem solve their own situations based on the knowledge and skill and emotional support that's in the book, um, so that they would be able to move forward confidently and also um, move forward confidently, even if they didn't weren't sure what they were about to try was going to work. That they could move forward, in addition to with confidence, with curiosity, to try mm-hmm. something new, to come back and reengage, rather than to you know recede and to go away and to visit less or or try less. Um, okay. That that was my hope. The response that I've gotten um, so far is uh, I just um, was on a coaching call this morning, and um, my 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 client said. You know, I, I can't tell you how many times I thought about you and your book over the holidays. Her husband is in the early stages of dementia, and they had, she had 19 family, huge family, 19 people coming to visit over the course of three weeks, and she was really worried about him and how she was going to handle him and all of that. And she said, I, I referred to your book so many times, and I was able to think things through on my own. You know, I got to where I could think things through on my own so I didn't have to grab the book and look something up. Mm-hmm. And that's... That was beautiful to me. that's exactly, when I say teach Amanda Fish, you know, that's exactly what I want for people to say, okay, X and Y, and therefore maybe Z. Let's try Z, you know. Um, yep. that's, that's what I hope for. And, and that's the early feedback that I'm that I'm getting about it. Wonderful. It looks
0: like we have a caller on the line, so let me pull them in. Okay. Um, I'm thinking that they're calling through a computer because it's just coming up as a 111 number. So let me see. Okay. Um yeah. Let's see. We've got a caller on the line. Do you want to state your name and why you're calling?
2: Yeah, hi. I'm off uh 2021. 20, uh I just came in. I just saw your show and it's very timely. I I did have a question. Uh and I don't know if it's in that in your book or not, but I wanted to talk. I wanted to get some information about uh patient or the client who is Uh, married and the other person um, is either incapable or unwilling to take part in what is turning out to be uh, uh, clearly a situation that's going to require more care uh, in the long run. Um, uh, Without going into a lot of detail, um, I I have a cousin in, in California and Uh, They're both over there by themselves, basically. There's no family or anything over there. It's just uh, uh, her and her husband. Uh, But she's picking up signs, and she's recognizing that she's dealing with um, early stages of memory loss. Um, She's afraid to go in and get a checkup. She's afraid to test uh, because she 's afraid that once she find, if she finds out that it is in fact something more serious she 's going to then be plagued with the issue of how to take care of it and who 's going to help her and and unfortunately her well they don 't listen to this, so I can say that her her mm-hmm. husband is not uh, is not going to be a helpmate in this. I mean, it is just obvious. It's not a question of trying to talk to him. It's not a question of trying to sit him down and recognize what's happening. Everything about him, you know, and at first I thought she was exaggerating, but I I got a chance to see it for myself and measure it uh, against who he has been with her. And they've been together for a long time, and that's what's really kind of scary is that – Not only is not. I want to make sure I get this right. Not only are his actions now showing someone incapable of dealing with a serious event, but based on the conversation I've had with her about the years that they've been married, he has never been that that pillar.
0: Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. Yes. So go ahead. We've got about
1: five minutes.
2: Oh, okay. sorry
0: about
1: that. <laughs> no, that's no, 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 that's okay. Fine. I'm glad you called him. Is is he in denial or just unwilling to provide the care? That it's really, you know what? I don't know. I've been
2: trying to figure it out myself because on so many, in so many ways, he seems like such a a great person. But whenever it becomes, like I said, you can tell now that. That whatever's going on is clearly a pattern that on some la- on some level she must have enabled because it seems to be okay for him to be the guy who who doesn't uh, take care of her or doesn't do his share or something um it It's like he either freezes or he uh, doesn't want to put in the effort or he's, I don't, I, I don't know. It's it's bugging me. My major concern now is that they're both over there. There's no other family there. And um, I guess for me, I'm trying to figure out whether I need to take some steps in the event that it does get worse. Okay. Or well, get to the point where, you know what I mean?
1: Right. So um, do you know when her next annual, probably, yes, you should get involved on some level, um I I'm I'm saying this with very little knowledge but that would be my inclination. Do you know when her next annual wellness checkup is? Uh
2: no, I don't. And like I said, that was the first thing I kept telling her. I said, you know, you, you just can't afford to not find out at this point. Okay, you I mean, I was very blunt. I said you don't want to find yourself driving down the street one of these days and realizing you are lost. Okay, uh, I said you need to, you know, if nothing else, get the exam so that if it is a problem, you can then talk to the doctor about support groups or, or something, you know, that and she can fall back on. It.
1: Yeah, and a diagnosis would, um, if she were to have a to test that way and come up with the likely diagnosis, um, I, I um, then... That would invite the uh, opportunity, perhaps, perhaps for a social worker to get involved, and that okay. might oh, help be your boots on the ground if you're if this is a long distance scenario.
2: So a social worker can and would get involved in something like this. This the, uh, would, would human serv- uh, what is it human health services? They would get
1: involved in something like this. I don't know state by state, but if there was a diagnosis, that would help open that door for sure. Without a diagnosis, it would be hard to open that door. Many, many Many
0: clinics do have a social worker on staff or someone who can help refer them, kind of get them into the system if that's what's needed. A lot of times I think people think, well, you know, I can't have a social worker unless I don't have any money. Then that's when somebody would step in and then, no, I'm not going to be in control of my decisions. There's also care managers out there that can be hired. Um, and it, it may, you know, it might, like you said, it might just be him as a person. He's, he's never stepped up. This is not who he is, wants to be. Um, I've seen a lot of people like that. Um, over time where they have always been cared for by the other person. And so they're not going to accept this as a diagnosis because it's going to turn their world around. And so it does does get very, very interesting. But we do need to wrap up, but I do appreciate you calling in. And um, I want to
1: make
0: make sure that we get uh, Cloud's uh, contact information out there. Uh, You can visit her at newstreetcompass.com newstreetcompass.com or cloud at newstreetcompass.com and um, you can purchase her book through her website there as well and then do you want to give out a phone number or not or do you prefer sure. electronic um,
1: no a phone number is fine uh, the 678-517-4225 is the phone number to call and then um, can I get my email too uh, Yes. a lot of times talk- People just want to kind of type for a while before they actually, you know, reach out. So my email is cloud, C-L-O-U-D, like up in the sky, at newstreetcompass.com, N-E-W-S-T-R-E-E-T, compass.com.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time. And as for me, you can always reach me at alzheimerspeaks.com. We'll talk soon. Bye now, everyone.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much, Lori. It's been a privilege you. and a pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye.